You're listening to ReachMD Radio, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine, produced in cooperation with AMDA. Your host is Dr. Eric Tangelos, Professor of Medicine at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, and a Certified Medical Director in Long-Term Care. Multidrug-resistant organisms due to antibiotic use is a particular concern for hospitals and long-term care facilities. What steps can facilities take to prevent unnecessary use of antibiotics? Joining us to discuss limiting the impact of antibiotic resistance in long-term care is Dr. Paul Drinka, Clinical Professor of Internal Medicine and Geriatrics at the University of Wisconsin-Madison and the Medical College of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. Paul, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Dr. Eric. It's really nice to have you with us today. Give us an idea about the scope of the problem of multidrug resistance in long-term care facilities. I'd like to just start out with the point that some facilities are truly facing an apocalypse of antibiotic resistance. I'll give you some statistics later, but in many facilities, our favorite antibiotics, the quinolones, are becoming ineffective. And I can't overemphasize the significance of this problem. Now, the cornerstone of any program to prevent transmission is standard precautions. If you review the CDC isolation guideline, and I would recommend that every medical director do that, you will find that standard precautions are extensive. For example, standard precautions include the use of gloves and gowns during the care of a resident with uncontained secretions when contact with potentially contaminated intact skin is anticipated. And this is regardless of culture results. And this type of a resident profile includes residents with incontinence or absent hygiene. In addition, universal precautions or standard precautions include universal respiratory hygiene and cough etiquette. This is also considered to be standard. So all respiratory secretions should be contained with either spatial separation tissues, or masks. Standard precautions are extensive. And the intensity of standard precautions in your facility should be driven by the realization that any resident may be an MRSA carrier. And this is a very real possibility. So never say only standard precautions. Sometimes I hear clinicians say, oh, only standard precautions. No, when you say standard precautions, you should growl. (laughs) Standard precautions are truly extensive. In addition, the medical director in the facility has to determine the role of enhanced or contact precautions. Here, a review of the CDC MDRO guideline is essential. You should also consult state and public health officials for help managing individual cases. So I think if you have questions, I've always found that the state public health people are quite reasonable, and they're very aware of the burdens of being isolated. However, if a resident is isolated, it's important that the facility meet that resident's psychosocial needs, or you'll risk a violation. 
Now, contact precautions are usually applied during active infection as opposed to colonization or during outbreaks of transmission. Well, Paul, as we go on with this discussion on infection control, you want to talk about any of the particular organisms out there that we have to watch out for, like MRSA? Well, MRSA is an extremely important organism. What I'd like to do at this point is just point out the importance that a facility maintain a bacteriology database in order to determine what your burden of MRSA and other multidrug resistant organisms may be. When you put together a bacteriology database as your starting point, facilities often fail to capture isolates that were obtained following transfer to the emergency room or during the first two days following transfer to the hospital. And if there's no past medical history, let's say, of MRSA, these are considered to be nursing home acquired, although admittedly it's impossible to know oftentimes where the initial colonization was actually acquired. But this database should be sorted by nursing unit, organism, antibiotic sensitivity, and date. And what this will do is you have to have all your MRSAs stacked together on each nursing unit with the date of initial isolation. And what this will do, it will allow you to identify clustering of facility-acquired multidrug-resistant organisms in time and space on your nursing units. And this, unfortunately, is evidence of transmission within your facility. Now, the database can also allow you to determine your burden of multidrug-resistant organisms, such as MRSA or such as rates of quinolone resistance in urinary isolates, which are also quite high in many facilities. And in this particular analysis, you should include only one isolate of a given type per resident. And this latter analysis will assist clinicians who are selecting empiric antibiotic therapy, especially in the face of critical illness. Now, there's been numerous studies that have shown that in the face of critical illness, if you don't get the antibiotic right the first time, there will be excess mortality. Unfortunately, in many facilities now, we have to worry about MRSA, pseudomonas, and even extended spectrum beta-lactamase, carbapenem-resistant organisms as well. So it's important to put together your own bacteriology database so you can determine if there's clustering of facility-acquired, let's say, MRSA in your nursing units and also to determine your burden of MDROs such as quinolone resistance in urinary isolates. But I have to caution people that facilities have different rates, and you can't necessarily assume that your rates are the same as those published in the literature. So I really encourage facilities to put together a bacteriology database so they can actually document what their problems with MDRO are in their facility. 
If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine from ReachMD Radio, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Eric Tangalos, and joining me to discuss limiting the impact of antibiotic resistance in long-term care is Dr. Paul Drinka, clinical professor of internal medicine and geriatrics at the University of Wisconsin in Madison and the Medical College of Wisconsin in Milwaukee. Paul, we're talking about multiple drug-resistant organisms, MDRO, as you refer to it, and we've talked about developing a database. This is a nice way to create an evidence-based approach to antibiotic problems in the facility. Are there templates available that our listeners can dial up and get easily so they can implement a program such as you describe? Well, as far as the database is concerned, Sometimes you might be quite lucky in that your reference laboratory may have the software to put this together for you. Now, how common is the emergence of resistance following a course of antibiotics? Uh, What do we need to tell families and patients about what's next? Well, I'll start out with a retrospective report that Philip Smith did in Nebraska in a nursing home, and... He and his group studied 200 residents who had a culture and sensitivity that had been performed within one month of a previous antibiotic. So in other words, there was an antibiotic given and then there happened to be a culture and sensitivity performed within a month. And in this retrospective review, the authors found that two-thirds of the bacteria that were isolated were resistant to that previous antibiotic. This is a pretty shocking result. Now, there have been a number of other prospective studies that have been performed outside of the nursing home, which I like to quote. One of them was a study of ventilator-associated pneumonia that involved over 100 subjects. And the authors found that 25% of the targeted bacteria developed resistance during therapy. And resistance developed during suboptimal antibiotic exposure where the area under the curve to MIC was less than 100. So the moral here is that don't underdose antibiotics. Sometimes uh, physicians think, well, he's got a low-grade infection, so I'm going to give a low dose of antibiotics. Well, that's a good way to select resistant organisms. You're better off using a full dose, perhaps for a shorter period of time. Another study was done by a fish who reviewed 173 studies of antibiotic administration for all indications. And this was a very large review that involved about 14,000 patients. And these reviewers found that resistance developed during 5.6% of the infections. Now, the thing about these two particular studies is that they did not include overgrowth of small numbers of pre-existing resistant non-targeted bacteria. Now, I think that because of colonization pressure and transmission, either within the nursing home because of all the contact care and dependency that we have and high rates of background colonization, because of colonization pressure and transmission also in the hospital, that many residents are probably colonized with small numbers of resistant bacteria. 
For instance, uh, my young colleague, Chris Cernich, recently studied about 280 residents in four rural Wisconsin nursing homes and found that 22% of the subjects were colonized with MRSA and 33% were colonized with fluoroquinolone-resistant gram-negative bacteria. And unfortunately, this colonization persists for months. A number of other investigators have reported similar results. So I think that you should anticipate overgrowth of resistant bacteria when you prescribe antibiotics. A prospective example here of the emergence of resistance I'll cite here was from cancer patients who received oral ciprofloxacin for nine days. And uh, in this particular study, 32% of the subjects subsequently developed ciprofloxacin-resistant E. coli in the stool. So I think that an unnecessary antibiotic prescription in the nursing home is like an antibiotic-resistant time bomb. That's what it is, a time bomb set to explode one to two months later if that individual develops a serious infection. So an unnecessary course of antibiotics puts the individual at risk, not just the herd. For example, the American Thoracic Society Clinical Practice Guideline for Community-Acquired Pneumonia recommends that if an antibiotic has been given in the last three months, you should use an antibiotic from another class. So a prior antibiotic is a powerful risk factor for infection with multidrug-resistant organisms, and I do not believe that this is a trivial risk in patients with frequent and serious infections. So the points here are very good. Unless we have a database, we don't make good choices. When we do make choices, we need to treat effectively for the appropriate length of time. And we need to remember that facilities and the residents there have a whole host of bacteria lurking in the background just waiting to show themselves with their resistance should we choose to treat unnecessarily. I believe you've got it correctly. Well, I would like to thank my guest from the University of Wisconsin-Madison and the Medical College of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, Dr. Paul Drinka. Paul, thank you very much for being our guest this week on Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine. Well, thank you very much. You have been listening to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine from ReachMD Radio, the channel for medical professionals. Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine is produced in cooperation with AMDA, For more information about this or any other show, please visit ReachMD.com, which now features on-demand podcasts.